Hello, you lovely, lovely people, and welcome to the first BJJ Strength Podcast of 2019. I'm very excited about this year for a number of reasons. Uh, one, if you've been following uh, BJJ Strength, at BJJ Strength on Instagram, I talked about one of, um, well, it didn't even feel like a goal, it felt like a dream, and it has felt like a dream for the last 11 years, and this could be the year that dream is actually realised. So I'm really excited about that, but I won't bore you with the details right now. Dive in really deeply into some very important strength and conditioning slash physical optimization textbooks. The one I'm going through at the moment is all to do with Soviet period, periodization. So I'm very excited by the book already and really excited to hopefully share some of that with you in the form of the podcast and maybe some new programs and new products that will be available on bjjstrength.com. So it's all good. Um, I'm actually recording right now with a new mic. I didn't record the podcast you're about to hear with a new mic, so apologies. Um, It's still over the old headset and over Zoom, but I think the content speaks for itself. But I bought two mics, which means I can start doing some in-person interviews, which I think is going to bring a completely different energy to the show. So I'm very, very excited about that. Um, And you know, still up available on bjjstrength.com is the free ebook talking about the six main causes and some easy to implement solutions for lower back pain. I know it's something that can really plague people that uh, train jujitsu. And I've been speaking to some you know, recent people that have been going through the program over the last couple of weeks and they've been seeing some great results. So there's a full, you know, the lower back pain solution is up on bjjstrength.com. Um, you know, I'd really encourage you to go and check that out for a number of reasons. But, but anyway, um, today's today's podcast let's get on with that whoever who you're actually going to be listening to on the show on today's show it's a very good friend of mine john Nordabart. he's uh, a black belt under caesar lima who's a, a secondary second degree black belt under hodger gracie so he's part of the hodger gracie team part of the same lineage as myself and that's how we know each other you know he started when i was still a white belt so we go back quite some time he's like i said now a black belt he runs Uh, a jiu-jitsu school on the island of Mallorca in Spain and we're going to dive into some really interesting topics. We're going to talk about his approach to teaching and learning jiu-jitsu and he's got some interesting viewpoints on that and I think that's always valuable to to get get a different viewpoint from as many different people as possible. You can always learn something from that. We're going to learn about how how he started jiu-jitsu previously having broken his neck in a skiing accident. That's uh, that wasn't it's a new story for me actually. Even though I'm a good friend of Joe's, that's going to be interesting. Um, how how we dealt with that, you know, in terms of protecting his neck for jujitsu. Then we go on a tangent a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, the the idea of how we can have as humans this conflict within us where there's an inherent aggressive nature in many humans and we can you know we can see that in the kind of sports that we like the kind of movies people like to watch and we talk a little bit about that and you know how maybe jiu-jitsu provides such such a such a strong relief so it's a, it's, it's a real tangent but an interesting one we also go quite yeah, not, 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 not really deep but we touch upon some paleo eating principles and he's going to share some information with you there um, which will be really good and also we're going to hear about uh, some really a really exciting festival Joe is setting up in Mallorca late in October in 2019. 
Sounds like a fantastic, uh, a fantastic thing that, that that he's putting on. It's a it's a yoga and BJJ festival. So there's I think three hundred spots available in total. So it's quite limited. He's hired out this fantastic hotel right on the coast on the coast in Mallorca, overlooking the sea. And it's a chance for people to turn up and learn from some amazing grapplers, do yoga at the same time. There'll be a bunch of seminars. He talks about it a little bit in the show, so I won't bore you with the details now. But a really interesting listen. And, uh, you know, Joe, is, is he's a fascinating character. And, you know, we, we go off on some tangents. But I think that's, you know, hopefully going to be interesting and insightful for you to listen to as well. I know I, I, know I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you do too. Uh, with that, let's get on with the show. You're listening to the BJJ Strength Podcast. Helping you be your best physically, on the mats and off the mats. The BJJ Strength Podcast. With your host, BJJ Black Belt and physical optimization specialist, Lawrence Griffiths. Um, okay. Uh, so today we've got uh, oh guys, welcome to the BJJ Strength Podcast. Today I'm very very happy to have a good friend of mine, Joe uh, Nota Bear. Is how you pronounce your surname, right? That'll work, Nota Bear. Nota Bear. Okay, I almost got it right. I almost got it right. Um, uh, and Joe, actually, it's kind of funny, right? Because I'm from I'm from the UK, and Joe is all all the way in Europe at the moment, in Mallorca, Spain. Um, um, but he's actually from the U.S. He's actually from all the way over here in in in, our, in Arizona. But uh, you know, Joe's been a good, uh, a long time friend of mine, long time training partner. He's you know he he, he tra- um, trains and competes as part of the Hodge Gracie team. He's um, he's a black belt. Uh, receives his black belt from Cesar Lima, who's a second degree black belt under Hodge Gracie. So part of the same lineage as me in terms of uh, where he got his black belt from, and. Joe, I, I, there's a lot of stuff I could say about you, right? There's a lot of stuff that we could talk about and we had got into, I think, as we always do when we start chatting about jujitsu, about physical conditioning, about life in general. Even before we started recording, we you know, spent 15 minutes going on to some topics that I think are going to be really valuable for the show. Um, so we, this, this conversation, I think I'm excited about it because it could, cause it could go anywhere. Um, we'll have to talk about how you got me into paleo eating um and some other some other really really good stuff but let let I'll, I'll stop rambling and you can say you can say hello well hey i mean first of all thanks for having me on on your show because I've, I've been listening to some of them and they, they're really great your voice sounds really good on them um the one <laughs> is really good and it's just i think you're meant to do this man thank you <laughs> i really do thank you and it's yeah. it's it's you put a lot of stuff out there and i think Sometimes just a year, even a little bit of feedback from someone, it gives you that little boost of confidence, that little boost of energy. And you go, right, I'm going to take this further. And we were talking about my goals for 2019. And one of the things that I'm going to focus on a lot more is the podcast. It seems to be the one medium that stood out over the other ones that people are really engaging with and really engaging with, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, what was kind of cool with, in like, for example, listening in a, to you and Ross's conversation was... Just talking about, I mean, I can really see this being a co- podcast for, for, you know, obviously people that really love jujitsu, mm-hmm. right? And then understand what you're talking about because it's great to hear different points of view from everything from just talking about like a grip, like spending time talking about a grip, 
I'll grip it this way or grip it that way. Or put your arm there, and then sitting there and talk about that, something so, so little yeah. and, and simple, but something that you could talk about for 30 minutes. And I love that kind of stuff. And I think that's great. Yeah, you can really you can really dive into the detail, right? And it, it's mm. um, if you're not a jujitsu person, some of that stuff can be can be can be can be really lost, right? Can be lost on a lot of people. But you know, I know the people listening here are mostly, I think, are going to be practicing BJJ. I would hope they do. If they're not, they should be because it's awesome. Um, but it's 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 an it's amazing the different perspectives that you have. On, on certain subjects and we can be I can be teaching in a class and there can be three other four other maybe black belts on the mat and we've all got a different way of looking at something and doing something and sometimes we're doing the same thing but the way that we understand and talk about that same thing is different and what what I've had to learn as you were talking about teaching right when before we got uh, recording but one of the things I've had to learn about teaching jujitsu is that People learn differently. I'm a very visual learner. Some people are very kinesthetic. Some people are very auditory um, in terms of the way that they learn. So sometimes the way that you say something, even though you're talking about the same thing, will make the penny drop for someone in a different way, if that makes right. sense. Right. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and te just teaching style in, in general. We were talking about how, um, you know, I've, I've, I've had my school here now in New York, uh, for about a year and tell people where that, it's, I, tell, tell people where it is so they can come find you sure well so my studio's in it's in a little village called el toro which is about uh 25 minutes away from palma and palma is the capital of mallorca which is one of the balearic islands uh off the coast of spain it's about 187 miles south of barcelona mm -hmm. and there's um you know the the famous island next door to us is abita uh, and uh, the other island next to us on the other side is Menorca, right? Meaning smaller island, and we're, we're of course in Mallorca, meaning the biggest island. Um, but yeah, it's in the Mediterranean. It's Spain. Uh, it's um, it's an interesting region too because although everybody speaks Spanish here, um, there's a they have another language that the locals speak called Mallorquin, which is mm. like a dialect a dialect of um, Catalan. Um, mm. Although. Then, even though they speak Catalan, they're not, they were not, none of them, or very few of them agreed with the sort of separate, separatist movement that the Catalonians were having um, uh, last year. They, yeah. they considered themselves Spanish. They just coincidentally speak a Catalan dialect, just like Americans speak English, but they're not yeah. English. Yeah. So that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I've got a studio here um, that I've been teaching at for about a year. And we were talking earlier about how, um, how when you first start teaching or if you or if you weren't doing it full time you know it, it it feels like you can sort of ramble on and not make a lot of sense and then pretty quickly if you do it regularly and i teach i'm teaching nine adult classes a week right now um and then i'm teaching 11 no sorry i'm teaching 11 adult classes and nine kids classes a week mm. and so you quickly you quickly just like in jujitsu if you did it every day uh you quickly kind of learn the sort of rhythms of of, of teaching and the whole, you know, making eye contact and not, not rambling on too much, maybe not show too much. Cause that was always something that bothered me when, when I was learning jujitsu is when you'd get an instructor that would go on for an hour and yeah. cover 10 concepts. And you like, you kind of going, I can't remember any of that. The best lessons I ever got was like learning one thing really, really good just that day. Yeah. So would you say so learn, 
teach one thing in 10 different ways rather than teach 10 different things? Lately, because the night class is a 75 minute class, I've been, you know, th sort of three, three periods of the technique. So, so, so connecting three mo movements together. So the structure, um, so the structure of your class, you come in, you do, you do a warm up. Yep, fifteen um, minute warm up. What 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 do you do with the warm up? Do you, do you focus on specific movements, or you uh, you know more more of a physical aspect? Well, I'll start with running because I, I like the traditional side of things too, right? Yep. I mean, um, we start running around in circles. I, I like to also do because we've got about twelve meters of of, of length. <laughs> After you do the runs, you know, laterals and all that, but they actually do some accelerated sprints. Yep. So even though it's only a one and a half second. But it's something about moving your arms and sprinting, even just like an, a complete explosive sprint. If you do five of those, that's what, constant what, every class. When it fires, it, I'm, I'm, re I'm reading a, a fantastic book at the moment that I'll have to talk about at some point. But um, it, it, what, that, what that's going to do is fire the central nervous system. It's really going to turn mm -hmm. the central nervous system on. And I, you're going to bet... Maybe there's research behind this, but I'm, I'm sure warming up is one thing, getting the blood flow in, but turning on the central nervous system, um, you're going to be a bit, you're better, you're going to be able to better perform a lot of the movements that you're going to train. But I wonder if the central nervous system is turned on, mm. if, if you digest those techniques internally a bit more. I don't know. It's a thought. That, that I think also just the high twitch nature of it, like mm -hmm. for one and a half seconds, doesn't seem like longer, two seconds, you're absolutely exploding, right? Yeah. Um, and, and also, I think I, I try and, and build in as much actual self-defense, too, in, into my classes. Mm. And, I, you know, I think it was Steve Maxwell, you know, was, was talking about yeah. how people should practice sprinting more because that is a pretty damn useful technique sometimes, right? You got <laughs> yeah. to know when to hold them and know when to run, right? You know, if yeah. there's five guys, you might be in your best interest to start running. Yeah, that's you a good point. Practice running. If you don't practice running, then, you know, at, at least it's that little bit, you know. Yeah, um, that's a good, good take on it. Yeah, and then uh, and then we do the front rolls and the back rolls, just like like you know we've always done. But I kind of de describe that to, to any new new students as that's sort of a way of waking your body up to the mat because that's mm -hmm. already foreign to newer students. Like actually waking your body up mm. by rolling on it and getting the mat to touch the back your back and over your neck and feeling the coldness of the mat on your skin and everything like that. It's, it's not, good to sort of make that connection. That's a, this is a perfect example of what we were talking about, of two black belts having a discussion about the same thing. I would describe front rows and back rows as, okay, you're now practicing a movement that is very applicable to jujitsu, and you are, but then your way of describing it is you're waking your body up to the mat, which is a beautiful way to look at the movement, right? It's the same thing, mm -hmm. but two completely different ways to look at it. Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean... Because I, I can't, I'm trying to think of where a front roll would be used. I was trying to think about this, other than escaping when somebody's about to take your back and then you dive into a front roll. <laughs> That's uh, not you, even the same thing, is it? Well, you can use you use a lot of front rolls when you're if you if you're taking someone's back and they roll trying to defend. You need to right, know yeah, where yeah. to place your head uh, is one example, and how to position yeah. your head and roll to not you know not hurt yourself. Right. Yep. That's it. So. So I've I've at least described it as as this intimate connection to the space, the room waking the body up, which then sort of, sort of turns on, like the, I think you were saying that nervous system, sort of turns that on to getting your body ready to grapple, Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, then, then we'll go right into, I'll always forever do, um, obviously, gambas we call them here, which is the Spanish word for, for prawn. So <laughs> uh, shrimping. Shrimping, yeah, yeah. shrimping, because <laughs> obviously that's just forever and ever and ever the, one of the most important techniques you have to know really well. Are you, um, teach, are you I, teaching in Spanish or are you teaching in English? 
English, yeah. Okay. English, yeah. English. So, because there's a couple other schools on the island and they're speaking Spanish, so my market's sort of like expat kind, of, kind of people. Um, then uh, I'm a big fan of just doing the inverted barambola rolls all the way down. Yep. Uh, again, because that's also going to start stretching the neck mm -hmm. a little bit and the shoulders. Yep. And it's also just a good movement to teach people, even though, you know, maybe at white belt, you shouldn't be inverting. You don't necessarily need to be in, inverting on anybody or doing a barrel ball, but something about that movement, as far as like, as far as a, a defense, you know, inverting, like you see Ross Nichols do this a lot when he plays his half guard. And if somebody starts to threaten a pass, he just inverts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's and annoying. What, yeah. Yeah. Really annoying. <laughs> and, and, and it saves him. He just bails himself out of trouble just by inverting. And uh, so, uh, you know, why not do that every day and also get that sort of stretch um, on the neck and some flexibility there. Then we do a circle and really kind of a little more sort of traditional push-ups, sit-ups, leg lifts. Uh, I'm a really big fan of doing neck exercises. Mm, yeah. Just because I have a bad neck. I've broken my neck uh, 15 years ago. Fused, uh, I have a fused uh, vertebrae. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I broke in a skiing accident in 2000. Vicious one. I think um, you told me that, but it slipped my mind. And you, you know, yeah, okay. yeah, that's that's another funny story. I mean, because I broke I broke it in 2000. I was lucky enough, like th that year, they came out with this new technology um, of fusing vertebrae. Because before that, this happened in 2000. Before that, you know, you used to have to get this big sort of cage around your head, right? Like a RoboCop looking thing, where oh. Basically, they just said, well, however your neck heals, that's it, right? And so when I started jujitsu in 2008, I remember, I remember going, it was at the V, right? And um, I showed up, I'm all like overweight and all that kind of thing. How old, how, how, how old were you when you started? 32, 30, okay. 31 or 32. Yeah. And I, look, and I look at this form and I'm reading the form and it says, do you have any pre-existing conditions? <laughs> broken neck <laughs> no so i just i just just glossed right over that nope because <laughs> i was like oh, i thought they weren't gonna let me be in it you know what i mean i thought they were gonna not let me because they'd say no i don't want that as a you know they don't want that as a liability so i just glossed over that and then um and so what happened after that was i went to the class and of course i'll, I'll tell you about my first class later but it, it, it you know i obviously loved it and fell immediately in love with with it Could, couldn't get enough of it and um, and you and, and give paint paint people a picture of your physical size. I think that's always always interesting to see. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a featherweight, right? Yeah. So to be jujitsu people that figures out. But I'm a well, I'd say an average height for a featherweight, right? So I'm not a tall, lanky guy, but I'm not a short. I'm a fi I'm five foot eight. I walk around. I mean, normally I walk around at seventy kilos, and then of course I cut the last two before competition. So you so you walk in so you walk into the gym the first time with someone who had previously broken their neck as a five foot yeah. eight featherweight out of shape. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, out of shape, but just gotten the first little sparring thing and was like completely, completely hooked. Yeah. And I, you know, I always say because you know, you know, you know, Renato, right? Mm -hmm. He was on there the first day too. We both showed up like, you know, the, the chubby guys with our t-shirts on. <laughs> right and of course back in that time at the v you know everybody was a white belt pretty much i think you had maybe just gotten your blue belt or no you might have been no no you were still a four strike white belt when i walked in then okay three or four strike walked out then um everybody else only jason was it was a blue belt and then of course max right max lima 
he was a blue belt with uh with four stripes and it was like ooh, look at you know max is like in the front of the class and he's like yeah Wow, that's crazy. And he's Brazilian too. He must be 10 times better. Just, just being Brazilian must make you better, right? You know how you used to think back then, right? And then, and then of course, uh, Caesar wasn't there the day I was there because he was in Brazil. And, um, and so I remember somebody, Caesar should give, give Max a commission for me, you know, after my 10 years of paying dues because I, I was in there and, I was, and, and we were learning uh, 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 from, from the mount, taking the arm getting the arm bar and then if somebody grabs your arm or they they they, they basically gable grip themselves to defend the arm bar yeah right and then it was to take your foot through and kick it through the other side of the leg and then go to triangle mm-hmm. right so i remember i remember doing that and and I, and I was horrible right doing that and then and then i started sparring and, and then max goes yeah man you're you're pretty good. You should go up there and sign up for the three month plan. And I'm like, Oh yeah, really? So I'm, oh, I'll take the I'll take the discounted three month plan, please. And and that was that. And it was off and racing. Um so thanks to Max. He, a, he encouraged me that day. That's hilarious. Max Max yeah. has been mentioned a few times on the show. I might need to get him on at some point. He's a character. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Interesting guy. There was a lot of interesting. Well, it's funny, right? Because you've obviously we we are speaking. We we started training mostly at the same time. You've mentioned Ross, you've mentioned Hanato, you've mentioned Max. All people that are still training have all got their black belts now, which is pretty. Yeah, cool. I know Hanato just got his, didn't he? Yeah, at the Christmas party. Yeah, That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, they are. Yeah. So um, you go, going back, I want to bring it back then to so you you going into your warm ups. You're talking about neck exercises. Um, talk to, mention a little bit of what. What neck exercises are you doing? Well, really, so if you think about it, and I, I recommend everybody always do lots of sort of anything, anything to strengthen the area around the neck. Mm-hmm. It's just going to help prevent injuries, yep. right? Um, so basically laying on your back because you've just finished sit-ups and there's this sort of like sort of side to side like this, like where your ear's kind of touching your shoulder yeah. all the way back. But if you're sitting back and you do that 20 times, you'll start to feel your muscles tensing up and working and then you switch it to sort of turning your head so you're uh i don't know like an owl would turn its head left and right and this is all while you're lying on your back right i remember doing it when you're lying on your back so then you're fighting the gravity of your head yeah exactly and you get it you get it a little bit when you're doing the crunches you get it a little bit on the front end of your neck there yeah right and then of course then flipping over and then sort of putting some weight directly on your head like wrestlers do yep um or or a headstand and i think just because of my neck, you know, it's always been a concern. Like, oh, I really love jujitsu. Oh, there's this issue with my neck. Is this going to be a smart move? Of course, the good news was I learned that guys like I think Brelio Stima has a fused neck. Um, really, and it turns out there's a lot of guys in jujitsu that have got fused neck vertebrae. Now it's pretty common. Um, I think there's, there's a video right of Braulio rolling, and I don't know whether this is when he had the neck problem or it was afterwards where he gets in, someone inverts him. And he and and he like something goes and he like can't feel his legs. Yeah, see, there you go. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. And he's fine he's now. Fine. He's fine now, right? But it was there. I know there's a video out there of. I mean, it could happen. It could happen with anybody, fused neck or not, right? I mean, the neck's always the at least what I'm most concerned about. I mean, the the neck is the reason I play spider guard, right? Okay. I got into this, and and you know, being, especially being a featherweight being older, right? Cause now I'm yeah. in my, let's say I'm in my mid thirties when I figured out, 
sort of spider guard at least to a, a level enough to keep me safe. It was just this idea that there was one thing I really liked about it, spider guard, and that was that you're on your back or on your side in my case, and you could put your feet on their hips, and you could put the and obviously you put one foot maybe up in the in the elbow, right? Yeah. Or both feet in the elbow and two in the hips, whatever, an open guard, but just because you're, you know, like a, like a hip sled, like when you go to the, the, the weight room, there's that hip sled where you, all of a sudden you can push oh, the, le- the weight leg, leg. leg press, yeah. Leg press, yeah, and I, I just kind of looked at spider guard that way, where if I was gonna go up against the guy that was 100 kilos or you know, 220 pounds or something, that if I, as long as I could keep their weight on my feet, on the bottom of my feet, I was actually keeping my neck really safe. Because mm-hmm. the, weight was, the weight was coming through my legs, obviously, but it was pressuring onto my shoulders. I was never, up on my head or on my neck it was like the weight was behind my shoulders so their, their, their body weight was on top of me and it was so i was able to create that cushion right versus say being in a closed guard where they're going to reach around your head and then just smash you mm-hmm. um and you know or or other guards where you could get smashed so it, was, it was all about this neck protection and um and that's also what led me down this paleo route right um do you remember I remember that what happened was, is it was I mean, 2009, 2010, and I had already gotten caught like in a guillotine, and I jumped stupidly to the op- the wrong, not the opposite side, but the same side. Yeah. I don't remember the guy who was. We had an interclub competition, and I really cranked my neck. And I went mm-hmm. to the I went to the doctor's office, and they, and then of course they're like, "Why would you be doing this?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> of course they didn't understand. But they said, why are you doing this? And, and uh, uh, so I went into the gym anyway after, after it started feeling a little bit better after two weeks, which is like the greatest feeling in the world. So I'm like, oh no, my world's over. I'm going to have a pinched neck forever. And it's, you know, but it got better. Yeah. And I remember talking to this girl. Um, I don't think she comes around anymore. Her name was Kathy Gifford. Do you remember her? I do. Yeah. 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 I, she's got to be a black belt now. because I think she's a black belt. She's, yeah, she's she, a beast. She, used to, she, she was a purple belt then or a purple belt when I first met her, but she used to steamroll dudes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she and she all she said was it was just a passing conversation. She said, "Oh, I, I just I'm interested in like anti-inflammatory uh, diets. Just that mm-hmm. one. That's all she said. Anti-inflammatory diets. She didn't say the word paleo. She didn't say anything. Just anti-inflammatory diets. So like I started to think about that. Like, huh? So that that would mean uh, otherwise that there are diets that you have that would inflame you. I've got a, this problem with my neck." And I already talked to doctors and they said, oh, you might, you're probably going to have arthritis when you're in your 50s or 60s. And so I started looking into arthritis and arthritis, a lot of it is inflammation. Yep. And so I just, I, I, after research and research and research and research, I started looking into it. I started, you know, I don't want to go down the whole paleo, I guess, philosophy, but I'm, although I'm hook, hook line, sinker, um, you started to realize that, there, that, that it seemed that this paleo diet or at least the reduction of uh, taking grains out, right? And I mean grains, because everybody likes to talk about sugar, but I'm more like, I'm more anti-grain than anti-sugar in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of these legumes and dairy, how that would just reduce inflammation. And I started to feel much better right away so in stiffness, yeah. you know, in my neck because of lack of inflammation. So that was the beginning. And then I, told, I called my brother, you know, I've got a twin brother, in, as you know, um, in, in Arizona, mm-hmm. um, who's a brown belt now. And he... Um, and I told him about it. He goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, God. Did we do that weird twin thing again where we started looking up stuff at the same time? <laughs> for, no, for no apparent reason. Because this is like nine years ago. And so yeah. 
uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. And, and, and so we just started, you know, I read the first book I read was the paleo solution by Rob Wolf yep. and really got into the science of it. There's a, there's a couple other good ones out there, but it's, yeah, it blew my mind. And, and, um, and of course I like to eat that kind of stuff. I, I, and I mostly eat plant-based anyway. I'd say I'm about 65% plant-based, yep. but just not, just not grain plants. Right, just leafy vegetables and uh, tubers and root vegetables. And- yeah. So, g- give for the people listening who most people I think by now know what paleo is, but just the, the real sixty thousand feet, quick, high level, quick like in an elevator. Like yeah, an elevator. elevator pitch of what paleo is. Elevator there pitch. You go. Elevator okay. pitch. Elevator pitch. Essentially, it is the uh, the diet that our ancestors. Um, evolved on, and that's very important, that they evolved on um, in between the period of sort of Australopithecus, which was uh, the end of about, from about 3 million years ago up into about 12,000 BC, which is the beginning of, of grain agriculture. So all that period of time in there where humans were evolving um, and they had the same, they had the same uh, general um, lifestyle, which was somewhat nomadic, tribal. They picked fruit they dug up roots they ate bugs they ate vegetables but and they hunted and they followed animals around and they ate them and that was pretty much um before we were human we were eating that diet and then when we became human about three hundred thousand years ago we continued on with that diet up until about roughly twelve thousand bc when somebody figures out a bowl right that's really what it, i think it is is a bowl when somebody figured out a bowl they figured out they could put grain in it and when they figured out grain then they could actually add water to the grain and then they could boil that and then process it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that people don't realize is that grain is all processed. You can't just go out. You can't just go out and eat rice in a rice field. No. Right. You can't just go out to a field of wheat and just start eating it. You actually have to process it by adding water. And then when you add the water to it, you then, or actually first you have to grate it down into a powder and then add water and then start to cook it to actually change its chemistry around to make it palatable enough to eat which our bodies treat it like a sugar. So in a minute, like you ever eat one of those white saltine crackers and you just stick it on your tongue, but don't eat it, right? But don't swallow it. It'll, you'll start to feel the sugars around your tongue start to attack it and it mm. gets kind of sweet. And that's why we love bread, humans do. And the rest is history then because um, humans kind of went to that diet. Yeah. Uh, and then they still do. Everything from pizza to pasta to, I mean, it changed civilization, you know, it definitely went, took humans from something like a million, million of them on the planet to, to 7 billion, yeah. in less than like 6,000 years. So, you know, because all of a sudden, agri- agri- agriculture did, right? Rather agriculture, than agriculture yeah. did, yeah. But I'd say mainly grain agriculture because grain agriculture became, and then of course the ownership of, of land all of a sudden became important because prior to that, you followed animals around. There was no reason to stay on that particular piece of land. Mm. You had to go where the caribou were going. You had to go where the edu were going, where the buffalo were going. You had to follow them wherever they went. You went, and possessions were just weighing you down. You know, other than your weapons and your, you know, ba- basic needs like shelter and stuff like that. That's all they had. And then, with the with with this agri- this grain agriculture came. Okay, well now that's my land. And then co- conflict happens. And then. Um, Chris Ryan, I don't know if you've heard of him, Dr. Chris Ryan, who's, who's, uh, he wrote that book on evolution, um, um, not a book on evolution, he wrote it on The Sex of Dawn, it's called. Oh, yeah, I've heard, I've heard of the book, yeah. It's this idea that marriage is, is connected to this 
when hunters and gatherers were slowing down and, and with grain agriculture, started to uh, start owning land. And then therefore they had to create these marriage contracts so that people know whose babies were coming out of who. And then they could pass that <laughs> land on. <laughs> right. So uh, anyway, that, that's a little far-fetched for me. But, but in a nutshell, um, that's basically a historical uh, ancestral diet of, you know, us being the fifth species of great ape, um, what we would have evolved on. Mm, mm. which is um, which is plants uh, and animals yeah there's I, I i i remember the first time you introduced me to paleo and we were at we were in lisbon and we'd both been competing at the europeans and you started explaining it to me and i was like what you know cause I, I was close to paleo eating i think in many ways i didn't eat much bread but you were like no just cut out all grains cut out legumes and stuff and I, I, I was like, you know, it, it took me a little bit of while, to, a little while to get my head around it. I was concerned about losing weight and losing muscle mass. You know, I'd shrink down, I'd become this really skinny guy. Um, but then I started doing it, and you know, the, the rest is history, I suppose. Um, I'm the one thing that I still eat quite a lot of is rice, and I try to focus on white rice and. The, the 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 reason I do that, and you you'll you'll know the answer for this, right? Is that everyone says brown rice is it's a slow carb, therefore it's better for you, and blah blah blah. But <clears throat> obviously, with the germ still around uh, the, around the, the grain of rice, then you still have a lot of phytic acid. But when you take off <clears throat> when you take off the germ, you just have the rice itself. And even Rob Wolf says this in his book that something like white rice is a better option if you time it for after your after your workouts. And I, I eat beans now and again, and eat a little bit of corn. But the, what, rice is the one thing, or white mostly white rice that I've kept in my diet for the for the carbohydrates. But yeah. anyway, we're on a I, tangent. I mean. My grandmother, she was Filipino, right? And she had her first triple. I mean, and she grew up on a. She she grew up on a pretty healthy diet, but she ate white rice. But she had a quadruple bypass, and I guess there's the biggest confusion. I so think did you, did, is, did you did you just try to link white rice to heart heart disease? I I am no, I'm trying to I'm trying to link. Oh, you got me already. I'm I'm trying to link all grains to heart disease. Okay. Okay, and I'll tell you why. And people go because there's this big confusion. People go. Oh yeah, I'm trying to stop carbs. Like, what does that mean? Like, you know, gluten. Well, well, you know, okay, well, gluten or carbs, right? Because gluten is a protein. Well, well, just no carbs, no bread. I don't want any bread. No more pasta. You know, like, well, so there's these like two sides of the negative impact of of grains, and I think they need to be they mean they need to be looked at differently, right? Like, so what? There's obviously the carbohydrate aspect where, you know. You're, you're affecting your insulin, right? Which isn't healthy. But then there's this other side with grains, like gluten being the most famous of them, proteins, in, which happens to be in wheat, mm -hmm. right? That goes into your gut and creates an inflammation way down in your gut, which then spreads throughout your body, right? Uh, even to your, your arteries, right? So there's an inflammation in your arteries from, the, from, from this inflammation, um, which then cholesterol gets stuck in those walls in your artery, and then that creates a clog and then you die. So then they look, you know, heart surgeons look at the artery and they go, well, it's obviously the fat, the cholesterol and the fats and the meat. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of like saying a bunch of firemen storm into a building on fire. 
they get stuck in the hallway. And then when they clean out the place and there's all these dead firemen, they go, oh, it's the firemen that caused the fire. No, they were there trying to fix it. The cholesterol gets stuck in those gaps inside the arteries so they can go and fix it, but they, they end up killing themselves because they end up killing the whole body. But that, that's based on the, on the, that has to do with those, that, those proteins, the gluten protein. Now, rice has a different one. It's not called gluten. I forgot the name of it, but it's, it, and, and, and uh, you know, all the different grains, they have a different version of that, but they can wreck havoc in your, in your gut, which spreads inflammation around. Uh, including it, your neck, in my case. And if someone wanted to read more about this, where where could they go? What books should they? Because I don't think this is is this covered in the Paleo Solution. Maybe I've forgotten it, or is this uh, a bit in depth? I think so. Yeah, there's another one um, called. Um, um, oh, I'll have to post. I'll have to send them to you. It's been so while. It's been such a long. My brain's not been there on that. Yeah. On that world lately, um, but yeah, it, it, it's a. Uh, it's, it's to look at the difference between the car this carbohydrate problem, right? If, or if it is a problem, because sometimes I think carbs are good for you. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you're, as long as you're burning them off, they're fine for you. You know, yep. you can actually use them. But yep. uh, like, like a white potato to me is a much better alternative as a carbohydrate than say white rice. Okay. Right? Cause it's, it's a tuber high in carbohydrate, but it doesn't have the proteins that a grain would. Mm. Of course, I'm not like die hard on this stuff either. I mean, a weekend comes, I will, dig into a piece of ciabatta with some butter smothered all over it. So I, think it's, <laughs> I think it's okay to have those every once in a while. Because if you think about the traditional, at least American diet, and probably the European, the British one, in a sense, is if you think about like layers, like layers of your diet coming into your stomach, like it starts off with cereal, right? Yeah. Well, that's all grain, right? Grain with sugar in it a lot of times. So that goes in the bottom of your gut. And then you lunch, you have a pasta. Well, that's just all grain. Or a sandwich. Or a sandwich. Or a sandwich with two pieces of bread, and then you start layering all this grain in. Okay, that's a lot. That's like overkill for the body. I think your body's just like struggling, and I think a lot of people are suffering so. But it's so mild that it's enough, and they love the food so much that it's not enough to make them quit. Whereas if you had eighteen meals that were really healthy, veg like you know proper vegetable based uh, and meat based, and then threw in a, a crappy one in the middle, it's just going to process right through. It's going to be fine. Yeah, so it's not like you have to live and die by it. I think getting people to quit bread is almost harder than getting people to quit smoking or drinking. People are so attached to it, you know? Um, <clears throat> what, what I was going to say is that there are a lot of paleo, I can, I can hear that dropping on the mat, by the way, as well. But, you know, you're fine. Um, whatever that was. <laughs> but there's... It was a penny. It was what? It was a penny for your thoughts. A lucky, a lucky penny. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we you or you, you get a lot of people that debunk paleo or will say well yeah how do you know if your ancestors really ate all that food right and we won't talk about the evidence for or against that at the moment but the, the point that i already i always make is that and i'm like you i'm not diehard paleo i still dip into some stuff as i've as i said but i you know say to people that you know is cutting out processed foods or, or let me rephrase this another way I don't think there is any argument that convinces me that cutting out processed foods from your diet and adding a lot more veg to your diet is ever going to be a bad thing. Right. I 100% agree with that. And, and I'd even say it even, to even go further on to that. Like if you're, a, if you're vegan and you're listening to this, and, and you may have your own reasons for not eating meat, whether it be uh, all the different reasons that go along with that, but you can still, I think you can still be paleo and not eat meat. Mm -hmm. um, it, I think you, there's plenty of great foods out there, just somewhat limited. Just if, as long as you cut the grains and the legumes out, 
and the dairy, you're essentially doing it. Dairy can even be, you know, you can look at that in different ways too. But um, it, I, I, you know, it's not like it's not like I think everybody should do it because some I think some people's body. Well, I think humans. I think I think a, a human has the ability to go either way, right? It's not that we're just omnivores or that we're supposed to be vegetarian because chimpanzees were. Or look at the Inuit; they only eat meat, or the Native Americans only. I think that it's like a needle that you can kind of place it anywhere in there as long as the food is a whole, right? So yeah. vegetable-wise, if you know if you can eat it raw, I think that it's safe for you. You can eat beef raw. You can eat chicken raw as long as it's not been sitting around. You can eat pretty much. You can't eat pork raw though. You get trichinosis if you caught a wild, at least. Um, but for the most part, you can eat all these things raw. Um, and I think if, if you if your body's telling you, or you're even which includes your brain and your mind, that you know I just don't want to eat any meat. I, I'd rather just eat these other alternatives, like the variety of tubers in the world to eat, and and all these different vegetables that are coming out now. There's all kinds of new vegetables that are that are coming back, fruits and things like that. Are they a new, yeah. new vegetables or newly discovered old vegetables? Well, no. Well, new, yeah, newly discovered old vegetables. Yeah. Like the Native Americans had all these vegetables that are fantastic. Um, that that for whatever reason, when the Europeans came, they're like, well, no, we like potatoes. So <laughs> we're not going to have that. Yeah. But they're essentially the same thing and the different taste. And um, there's, a, there's a fruit that I was walking through the north here in a town called Palenta. Palenca. Uh, Poyenza, sorry. And there was this fruit. And there was a tree and it looked like it was hanging, there's fruit hanging. And I picked one of these fruit and it looked like a date, but it was totally round. Mm. And the, I posted on this board, like took a picture of it, what is it? And, and it's basically um, a lost fruit that the ancients used to eat. They've actually traced it all around the Mediterranean, but they have no recollection of anybody eating it past like 1500 years ago. Like the wow. Phoenicians were eating it, the ancient New Yorkians were eating it the Greeks reading it, the Romans reading it. There's all these, they're eating like crazy. Apparently it's a big part of their culture. And then for some reason, people stop eating it, but they still grow everywhere. And if you eat one, they taste just like a date. They're amazing. Yeah. The English call them honey, 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 uh, honey berries. Because mm. they taste like honey. And I'm thinking, this is, this is a, this, no, nobody's put any pesticide on this thing, right? It seems to be surviving really, really well in abundance. Yeah. Nobody's eating it. It's just a lost source of food. It's just growing wild on the side of a parking lot. Is, is, is yucca, is that another one of the roots that was prevalent in North America? Uh, it's a Y-U-C-C-A. Yucca. 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 Okay. Yeah, I don't know much about that, but that's one, yeah. And there's, there's a whole bunch of others. Like Even Saudi Arabia has some fascinating foods that they've sort of unlocked from, from the old times of Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And the reason, the reason those are interesting is because they can, they can grow on, you know, Saudi Arabia is a really bleak desert. Like Arizona is a desert, but not like Saudi Arabia is. Like we're talking sand everywhere. Yeah. And they're able to grow all these trees and there's some permaculture forests that are coming up over there. And they're starting to bring back these, these old foods that need practically no water, but produce uh, abundance of food. Mm. So there's a lot out there. That's all, that, that world is changing a lot. And I mean, let me get back into this though, because one of the big debunks about paleo would be, look, man, nobody was eating that. Nobody was eating a, a bell pepper <laughs> in, in, in this year. Uh, nobody was eating, uh, did you ever see what a carrot looked like 23,000 years ago? It's the size of a pencil. And it's like um, a banana used to be, have all these seeds. And, and that, all that's true. Yeah. But it, it's still the same food. 
like it just tastes better now because they've just managed to selectively breed the fattier, tastier, sweeter ones. Yeah. But it's the same food. It's kind of like saying Danny DeVito is not human, but Shaquille O'Neal is. <laughs> you know? they're, they're both, they're, they're both humans, you know, they're both human. Yeah. They're just so, they're just different in size and look, right? So. It's just evolved over time. Yeah, it's evolved. And also the Paleolithic era of, let's say 50,000 years ago, plants, animals were very different than the Paleolithic era of 300,000 years ago. So even cavemen, if they had this conversation, would have been like, ah, that was, you know, your food 200 years ago was, you know, totally different than it is now. But it's all the same. It's a vegetable that grows wild. And if you can eat it and it doesn't hurt you, then that would be described, I would say, as paleo. So the, the word paleo kind of throws people off because it's sort of implying that it has to be a food from the Paleolithic era, which, mm. as you know, most foods right now, like a white potato being one, a tomato being another, they all came from South America, right? And, uh, and so they weren't even around in Africa. Um, and the white, have you ever heard the story of a white potato? Real quick, I'll just I'm go off piece. There. No, I have not. Tell me. <laughs> so, so there was, you know, you think about the Irish and the potato famine and, you know, obviously Europe, you know, the British Isles, for example, potatoes is like a staple. Yep. And then, and then you think, and then you think Italy, tomatoes, right? Tomato sauce. Well, none of that was around. Like, you know, conquistadors went to, they ended up getting through Arizona, actually, the Sonoran Desert. Mm. Um, in like, you know, the 1500s. Well, they, they're the ones that actually found the tomato and the potato, right? And so they brought the tomato back to Spain. Uh, and then the tomato made it quickly to, to, to Italy. But then the potato, it's like, hangs out in Spain for a while. And then it makes its way up to Britain. So they brought the potato. So they brought the potato back on the tomato. On the tomato, tomato. I'm not American. Right. Potato and tomato. Uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still sticking to tomato. But they brought it back, and then it went. Then it got to Ireland, and mm. then the Irish brought it to North America. Because remember, it was never in North America. It was in like sort of Mexico. Yeah. Found the potato. So it went, sorry, from South America. They actually found the potato in South America, and it made its way to the pilgrims. Like, well, not pilgrims after that, probably up in North America. And when was like, this? Like, Oh, this is all in like the 1500s or 1600s. It, but it just went this roundabout way all the way into Europe and then back to North America because there were no potatoes in North America. They were only mm. in South America. So I thought that was always kind of interesting. So humans are part of this ecosystem of moving plants around. Yeah. The world, yeah. you know. And, and so there you go. <laughs> that's, no, that's fascinating. Um, I was going to, what I was going to say, this whole, we've gone off on a conversation, a good conversation around Eden, right? Um, and particularly, uh, or specifically around paleo. What I always tell people is that I get a lot of questions around how do I improve recovery? How can I improve my performance? I think the biggest things that you can do to support recovery and to support your training is look at your diet. You're the mm. basic stuff, right? Look at your diet. Hydration is very important. Sleep's another massive one. But the food that you're putting in your body, and while it may seem almost like the end of the world if someone says to you cut out bread cut out all wheat cut out sugar cut out this cut out all meat whatever whatever the, the advice may be is just take a 30-day period take a particular type of food and just cut it out of your diet replace it with something else and see how you mm. feel it's a process of experimentation some people are going to end up vegan some people are going to end up paleo some people are going to end up vegetarian some people are going to not change at all but you don't really know how your body reacts to certain foods until you cut them out quite often and and 
Rob Wolf talks about this, <clears throat> where they say, well, I've always eaten this food and I feel fine. No, you're used to it. You're used to how your body feels, but you may feel better if you cut some of these foods out. And it comes down to, at the end of the day, just self-experimentation. Do 30 days, do 60 days, do 90 days. Do a little trial period. Do you know what? Those foods are not going anywhere. You can always bring them back into your, into your life. But do some self-experimentation with how you feel and perform based off eating, eating certain types of foods. And we can go into intermittent fasting as well about when you eat and how you time certain nutrition throughout the day as well. It's very important. You, you said an important thing too. I think with a lot of people, because they're constantly, in, they're con the question usually is, what do I need to eat? Like, and, and my, my answer really is, well, what can we take out? I think, I think it's more about eliminating things first mm -hmm. than trying to come up with some magic blueberry that you think is going to help you feel better. Yeah. You know? let's just look at what you are eating. Let's start taking subtracting. But um, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's immensely important is, is to subtracting. Um, what were you saying we were about to go into? You, you were saying. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We've got. No, you said, I was just, I was just trying to hold that thought. Why, why I spit that one out. But I think you were going to say something to the effect of um, best, uh, best foods for recovery. No. Yeah, I get asked a lot of, you know, how can I, how do I improve recovery? How can I improve performance? And diet is one of the most important things that can assist your training and assist recovery. Is that, is that what oh, it was? Yeah, well, the fasting thing. Yeah, fasting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's it, yeah. So I, what I do is I do the, I do, I do I, that's what I do. Um, uh, I have, a, I have a, a meal at 11, like a brunch, always a salad, but massive salad, like huge. Yep. With avocados, um, usually some sort of protein in it, fatty. And then I'll try and have my evening meal around six. And then that's nothing. And then nothing until I come back to 11 the next day. So you eat twice a day. Yeah. And then in the middle, I'll have with coffee, I'll have like uh, some sort of kind of nut or a piece of fruit. Okay. So very, very small, very small just, snack. Just, just, to, just to sip on some coffee with. What do you, what, so first thing in the morning, what do you, what do you drink? Two, two glasses of water. Two glasses of water. Anything in the water? Nope. Just the water. And then I, and then I have two cups of coffee, which I'm, I'm a little bit debating that because I have a hard time with that because I don't know how much the coffee's mixing in with the water because coffee's a diuretic. Yep. Right. I mean, it's going to, it's going to prohibit your ability to absorb. So what I've been doing lately actually is, um, I've been putting a glass of water. <laughs> I've been putting a glass of water uh, next to my bed and trying to down that at about five in the morning when I get up to, to take a whiz. <laughs> mm. I'll just down that because at least that's going to have like a two-hour head start. So you're hydrated when you wake up. Yeah, that's a big thing. So I'll, I drink tons of water. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, because as far as especially with keeping weight off, like when I cut, I mean, I cut this last competition in London. I cut three and a half kilos in five days and that was wow. a little bit rapid yeah um just from fasting just eating very little but you know as you know when you sort of i'm assuming in ketosis i didn't have it i didn't have ketosis checked but i could feel the appetite go away after the second day yeah because um, glyc glycogen holds a lot of water uh, glycogen holds a lot of water in the body right so when you go into ketosis it's going to dump when you get rid of the yeah. glycogen, it's going to get rid of a lot of get rid of a lot of water as well. Have, let me, I have a question for you. Do you know if there's been any studies 
on people that go into ketosis taking IQ tests versus not being in ketosis? Have they ever done that? I have not looked at that. Because I think, I think if, if I were going to take an IQ test, I would want to make sure I was on pretty hard ketosis where you're sort of like your, your brain's just burning pure fat. I, mm-hmm. You know, because I, I get a sense of clarity with it for sure. Sleep better and everything. I, so I, 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 I do intermittent fasting most days. Depends what my workout looks like in the morning. Um, if it's a, you know, more of a strength-based workout, I will have something after I work out. But otherwise, like this morning, as, as an example, I'll, I, you know, a bit of light movement, mobility-type work. Then I have my coffee with butter and coconut oil and some other stuff in there. And I don't eat then until about, about midday. And, uh, you know, technically, you could say that's not fasting. But I feel like I'm a lot, I'm, I have a lot more clarity when I don't, when I don't eat in the morning and I'm a lot, I'm a lot more alert. And Mm. there's, you you could, we could talk about the physiological things going on when when we eat and, you know, why that puts us into, into a more, you know, relaxed, sleepy state. But if you think about, let's, um, hunter gatherers, right? You'd wake up in the morning, you need to go out and let's say you've got to go on hunting, you've got to find your, find food if you were alert, then yeah absolutely you know from an evolution perspective those people that were more alert that you know first thing in the morning when they needed to go out and hunt them before they ate they're probably going to be a lot more successful right than the people that weren't so maybe it's something that's evolved over time as well if you think about it you know from that perspective Mm -hmm. no you know that's completely a theory on my part no research to back that up or anything but um yeah it's interesting in terms of an iq test I, i don't know I don't know the I we could we can go on a whole tangent with IQ tests as well and how they're you know designed for how certain populations do much better on IQ tests than other just because of the way they're designed you know and and the way yeah. that you know it's you know if you're exposed to certain stimuli through your development you're going to do a lot better on a IQ test developed nothing to do with that person being more or less intelligent but anyway Sure. Yeah. And no, I agree with you on that because who developed the IQ test and like, yep. uh, you know, if a particular culture develops an IQ test, that, that particular culture will probably do better on it than somebody that's sort of new to it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So I want to, we've gone off on some very valuable tangents, right? And you're, do you know what? You're the only person I've had in this show that I didn't prepare for. And do you know why? But one, because we know each other so well, but I, every time we get into a conversation, it's at a point where, we, we look at the clock and you go, shit, is that the time? Because you've, you've always got some great stuff to talk about. Um, but bringing it back to, I do want to go back to the teaching jujitsu. And we talked about the structure of the class. And you were about to say something about how you broke down the teaching of the techniques. And I want to come back to this because I think it's very valuable for people to understand you know, how you think about teaching a technique and how you see it fit in together. And I think people can take a lot from that. Um, in terms of their, their learning and development for jujitsu, And you were talking about how you break it down into three sections, the way that you teach, the way that you teach right. technique. Well, what, what I was saying is, um, so when I first started teaching, it, it's different than, than how I teach now. I'm much more comfortable and fluid with it. And I think I didn't realize, when I, well, I didn't realize how much information I actually had in my head. Because I think when you're thinking about something, in your head and you're thinking about a technique that's one thing but when you're thinking about it 
And as you're thinking about it, like, you know, assuming you didn't prepare at all, because sometimes you don't really need to prepare. If you know a technique, you know how to teach it. You're sort of like letting it come right out of your mouth and you're talking and you're looking at everybody and you're really trying to get the point across of what's important. Like, cause every technique will have like the single most important thing that you need to watch. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're passing the guard. Your elbow needs to be in. Your elbow has to be in when you're pushing on that knee. Your elbow has to be in because if your elbow's not in, they're going to pull, the, pull the, the elbow out and you're going to get comored and everything's going to fall apart. So that's the number one most important thing. So you can, when you talk about that and you're being really passionate about it, you know, you're also explaining why it's important and why it's the anchor to the whole movement you're about to make. Mm -hmm. um, and when you, when you start, when you're teaching, you didn't even know that you would have described it that way. You just did it. But then you've been able to just, just pull it all out and unravel it and look at it now and go, wow, yeah. And now it really is the most important thing. I didn't even think about it that way. I was just subconsciously, when I dove into passing, like a, one, a single uh, underhook pass, I just, my subconscious is always making sure that my elbow is glued to my ribs, right? Because that yeah. would, because everything would fall apart if I didn't. And now to point that out, and then to point out the second most important thing, because there's always a second most important thing, not as, not as important as that, but just as important. And then you start to piece together these principles, right? Or, the, or these important uh, anchors of the movement. And then the movement, it's, it's much easier to teach them because then at least they have starting point one and starting point two. Okay, the two most important things are covered. The rest is just repeating. Yeah. Re repetition of the movement. So, so the, 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 the three segments I was talking about is I don't like to go beyond three segments of a class. You know, like let's say you finish the warm up and then everybody has a water and then you sit down and then you talk about – and I was saying earlier how sometimes Could I don't – I have to pull something out of my well, – go ahead. I was going to just, no, I've interrupted you too much. I'm going to hold that thought. Let me make a note of it. I'm going to come back to the, my thoughts about warm-ups, but carry on. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, real quick, I'll just say real quick. B basically, I teach the first segment of, of a movement, and then you obviously have to teach the second. Th then everybody practices that one particular move, right? Just the maybe the entry, like how you would start that. And then the second segment, after you bring everybody back to the middle, would be the middle part. And then you'd have an end. So it's in three segments. Um, and then they, they get to, to practice each of the three segments. And then we go to sparring. So that's generally how I'll do a, a technique. And I also like trying to stick the whole week into one area. So maybe mm -hmm. we're just passing. We're just passing uh, low passes for the week. And the next week will be high step around passes. Then the next week will be let's just work from half guard, that kind of thing. So. So you you bring it, you're simplifying it down into more concentrated into one area. So each each lesson is concentrated into one area. You just, okay, this is how you enter into the position. Then you try to focus on the one or two most important aspects at certain well, points of the movement. But then you you create blocks over a week to say right, and and yeah. and not give them too much because I like I, like I was telling you before when I've gone to classes where an instructor. It's hard too to not talk too much or teach too much because you get really excited as a teacher. Yeah. You really want to pass this information on. But if you keep rambling on too much, you'll start seeing some glossy faces out there. Yeah. And I was I was always one of those guys. Like, oh God, when can we just bar? <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun part. That's why jujitsu is the fastest growing martial art in the world. I, I mean, everybody loves tech, I mean, wants to learn technique, but it's because of the sparring, right? Um, I would say at least. So anyway, what were you gonna say? Spar, well, spar, sparring is so much fun, right? Sparring is so much fun, right? And we, I was chatting to, I was at a class yesterday and one of our brown belts was teaching and 
that yesterday or the day before, and he's a massive fan of drilling. But then we both go, yeah, but sparring is so much fun. <laughs> so it's. <laughs> It is. I mean, it would be hard to, I don't know if I would have been able to do this for so long if it, we just drilled all day, like in, you know, some of these martial arts where you kick in, you kick in front of the mirror all day. And, it's and discipline, talk, right? Talk theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's a little bit disciplined. So it's, depends what you want from the, it, it depends what you want from jujitsu as well. If you want to be the best competitor in the world um, and have the best technique, then it's, different to someone that yeah you want to have good technique you want to learn but you also want to have fun and enjoy it so it's it's that balance right um so the point i was going to make about warm-ups and you know warm-ups are important absolutely and we talked about it earlier on we talked about fire in the central nervous system i loved your idea of becoming acquainted with the mat um also you know using movements that you're going to be doing throughout um, throughout jiu-jitsu, protecting the neck and strengthening some key areas are important. But what I always find interesting is that we do this, we build our bodies up, we get our bodies to, you know, uh, not, not, not a peak per se, but to a certain level of physical preparation. And then we sit down mm-hmm. and we talk and we learn. And we stop for 20, 30 minutes and then we roll. And if right. you think of, I'll use American football as an example. Um, American football maybe is a little different because of the way that the team structure, but of, of the way of the way it works. Um, you know, because not every team you've got different teams within the squad, right? Not every team is going to suddenly start the game. They come in at different points. But rugby or soccer, I hate saying soccer, football, right? The real football are better examples where. The warm-up starts off gradual and builds up intensity and then you reach a peak of the warm-up and then you'd have a break of, say, 10 minutes just to rehydrate and kind of allow the body to relax a little bit and then you get into mm-hmm. the game. But whereas with jiu-jitsu, most classes, we're reaching this peak of the warm-up then we stop for mm-hmm. 30 minutes. Our bo- yeah. yes, well, yes, when you drill stuff, you're moving and you stay limber, but then you could go into rolling. Whereas, wouldn't it be better to do a warm-up of a kind to get the body limber, but not too much, to learn technique and then do a a second warm-up to go into rolling so your body's ready for rolling. And, you know, there's ways that you can structure the sparring. You could go, right, the first Mm -hmm. round is going to be a flow roll or the first round is going to be positional, so it's less physically intense, more technically focused, allows you to learn that technique and then you go into rolling. So it's... um, I don't know, it's something I think about. I don't know what the answer is necessarily. Mm-hmm. I know that one guy I train with, what he does is he'll do a warm up, and then before he shows techniques, he'll get people to roll for one or two rounds. Because, like mm-hmm. you said, most people, they've come in from the day, they've been working all day, they just want to bust out some energy on the mat. So they get one or two rolls in, and then he stops to do tech, to, uh, to teach techniques, and then oh. goes back into rolling at the end. So, I don't know. It's just food for thought. It's something to think about. I guess it also depends on the technique, right? On, yeah. That you were learning. Because some techniques, like you said, the, that you can sort of, there's a drilling aspect of them where you can keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are really slow, but yeah. And then there's just the temperature of the room can affect things, yeah, right? Absolutely. You know, um, if it's winter time and you don't, and you, you know, <laughs> you haven't paid for heating like me, um, then <laughs> the room itself is going to be colder than in the dead of summer where every, the joints are all, are, are all warmed up. But yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, it's I, I like to try and go with the flow roll, but man, I just I, I I hit the timer and I turn around and guys are trying to kill each other already. <laughs> it's just just don't have, there's you know there's a lot of there's only two speeds. There's stop and go with some people. So, um, you know, part of it's I guess having to learn that. I mean, th- what got me into the into jujitsu was the, the t- you know when I first had my first really good. You know, at that time I could only get like three or four rounds in or something, but really really hard. And I used to go all guns blazing all for it and it was just this feeling that I remember I remember it like, uh, like, like it was yesterday being down in the V and sparring with somebody really really hard and it was like the fourth or fifth round and like I could barely breathe and I was I felt like I was so close to dying but never had felt so alive at the same time there's something about that it, it, it was like the the best worst pain like it it didn't hurt right but it was gasping, gasping for air, but it felt really good. And I just rolled off to the side of the mat up against the wall. And I'm like this sweaty heap and barely breathing and just endorphins firing off the top of my head because I was feeding that anxiety that had been built up inside of me. I was just giving it, here, take this, just, rah! and it felt really, really good. And um, it definitely changes you as a person. Um, and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm doing this festival. I don't know if I told you about this, but if any of your followers want to check out um, the Mallorca BJJ and Yoga Festival, I'm throwing that in October. Um, and it's basically, I've, I've hired out the entire Grand Malia de Mar Hotel, which is this beautiful, beautiful hotel on like four acres, right on the sea. In Mallorca. Two swimming pools in Mallorca. Yeah, exclusively. It's like nobody else has access. To it. Really? It's just nobody has access to it except this festival. For how long? I booked for five days. Uh-huh. Five days. And Monday, half the tickets. And, Monday to Friday? Uh, Monday to Friday, yeah. Mm-hmm. You check out on Saturday. Yeah. Check out on Saturday. Um, and uh, it, it's basically, I'm trying to work still on the theme, but it's basically going to be half the tickets are going to go to the yoga people and half the tickets are going to jujitsu people. But you can cross train them both. So you, yeah. can, you, can, you can get a jujitsu heavy ticket and do all the yoga classes you want. And you can do yoga and do all the jujitsu classes you want. And the seminars throughout the whole day. And then uh, if you want to do one class or 10 classes, doesn't matter. Right. And there's DJs and that whole thing. But what, I, what I'm trying to get at is I want to try and bring this, this concept together of this mm-hmm. sort of conflict and resolution. You know, okay. there's you're, like with, you know, we were talking a little bit about before about our ancestors and, and what fascinates me about them and our evolution. And this is, I'm going on a little bit of a, of a, a uh, off piece here because I've no dude. This has been no the theme. Of the, the theme of the show has been off piece, right? It's all, okay, all this part, but I love this. Yeah. So I, I have no, I have no uh, guaranteed, um, you know, science background in this or anything. But it, it seems to me that, you know, and there's a lot of humans that can't stand humans, right? Like they just hate. Oh, the whole world's all going to end because humans. We did it all. We're horrible. But I mean, I think we're great. I think humans are great. But it seems though that based on our evolution, you know, violence in a sense, right, was somewhat rewarded as far as offspring, if that makes any sense. Like, it seems like, sadly, in a way, but it's still part of evolution that you and I and everybody listening, you know, we have these common ancestors. And if you look at somebody like Genghis Khan, for example, like he had like thousands of kids, right? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying he didn't, he didn't exactly create those kids in a romantic way, let's say, or Cyrus the Great, right? Tons of kids, violent people, right? 
horribly violent people. They would kill yeah. anybody. But yet they produced so many children. And there's all kinds of you know, histories about this. And I think... Survive, survive, our, survival of the fittest, right? Survival of the fittest or just not sort of caring that you know, you're sort of being violent. And so that's in our DNA. And even though you could find the most you know, loose, uh, passive person and you know, this person doesn't have a violent bone in them, it's still in their DNA. It just might be a recessive gene, right? And so to, to bring it back to the festival, I, I want to try and bring up this discussion because there's going to be some open night forums that we talk about these kinds of things. So, so you, you, you just got, you've just gone on a, let me, let me point this out. You've just gone on a <laughs> for two, two, two of the most prolifically um, violent and conquering people in, in world history <laughs> back to your <laughs> festival. And people are like, is this going to be like Battle Royale? We're all <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not like that. But I'm, I mean, uh, well, I, I get the. I think I, I think the point you're trying to make, not to put words in your mouth, but if I listen, it makes right. sense to me because you, you, I think you're trying to make the point that we've all got this innate aggressive, or, or not everybody, but a lot of people can have an innate aggression inside them that they kind of need to get rid of. Is that what you, the point you're trying to make? No, it's it can it can go that way. Okay. Yeah, it, it can. It, it, that, that's for sure. That's for sure. One of them. But like, let's for example, there's a like a famous yogi that's living today. His name's Sad Guru, right? Mm -hmm. He's like the best intellectual yogi. I'm trying to get him to the festival. I'm working really, really hard, and I'm just trying to picture when I sit him down in front of everybody and say, "How can? What do you think about this idea that it's okay that in hum, in humans there's this essentially horrific violent dna that we may have and is and that we're sort of practicing that every single day because what is jujitsu if you think about it we go in there we shake hands we're all friends but at the end of the day we're playing this make pretend game of i'm trying to kill you with a choke i mean what's a choke yeah they tap they tap if you don't let go and two seconds later they're out in you know 45 seconds later they're brain dead yeah. Two minutes later, they're dead. Yeah. Right. Or they're just out, and then you could kill them. But why is it that we're finding relief? There we go. That's what I'm why are we finding relief in practicing, in reenacting, in reenacting this ancient practice mm -hmm. of murder, really, or violence? But then, talk, but then it's not because we're sitting around. We're talking. We're we're treating it as a chess game. So we're 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 covering it up in this this sort of exercise chess game. But what it? But it's competitive, right? We're all, it's very very competitive. And so, how do you bring that up and try and tie that to? That's conflict. But then let's also talk about the recovery aspects of yoga, and how do we put that together and say that it's all human? It's all okay to be human. I don't know. That's what I'm I'm struggling with this idea. Hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I can see. I can see. I can see. I can, what, what do I say to that? Um, it's this is not. This is why I really wanted to speak to you, man. Because you're such a fascinating guy. Um, uh, but what I was going to say, you know, there's there's a reason why we've got eyes on the front of our heads, or two eyes next to each other on the front of our faces, because we're predators. 
that means we can judge that means we can judge distances that's that's why we have we have eyes on the front of our heads and up until i listen to a lot listen to a lot of history podcasts i think you listen to some of the same ones like hardcore history you love them yeah brilliant right and when you when you when you people complain about the world today and there's never been a better time to be alive as a human in terms of the quality of life. Most people on the planet, right? There's a lot of people who don't have good quality of life, but most people on the planet. Or uh, I don't know if there's a percentage of it, but the percentage of people that live a good quality of life, you know, in terms of poverty levels, you know, life expectancy, etc. You know, not dying in childbirth versus people mm-hmm. even a hundred years ago. And right, up, up right. until uh, the, one of the big podcasts I listened to recently is that um, was about the, was about the First World War, and one of the things that comes out of the First World War that even at the start of the First World War there was still a romanticism, a romanticism. There was still a sense of adventure, um, a sense of real heroism when it came to going off to war, and a lot of the people at the start of the first world war were still fighting uh you know war the way that they did do in napoleon's time and they all went off and they had big plumed hats and you know you know it was all a big you know a, a big deal and they were going on this sense of they were going on this big adventure and then suddenly they met with some of the machine guns with the industrialization of war and it was it was a clash of you know the old ways of fighting war with the new ways of fighting war and it changed forever but right up until about 100 years ago there was still this you know at least when you listen to some of these accounts a romanticism about war a sense of adventure and that 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 interest in in fighting hasn't suddenly gone away you look at all the films that are so popular you look at war films. You look at action movies. I was watching Thor the other day. Why, you know, what if Thor was a film of you know some god walking around just talking to people and having discussions? Nobody would watch it. It's about some guy kicking ass with his magic hammer and destroying people left, right, and center. Um, why is the UFC so popular? Look at something like American football. It's an incredibly violent sport. They're not actively punching each other, but the, the physical nature of the sport, why is it so popular? There's, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent and ranting a little bit at the moment, but I, I think it's an important question, right? You know, what, what's, what is it inside us that needs to be addressed and dealt with in the right way you know why something like jujitsu, like to your point, gives you such relief, and I think it's an important question to try to answer actually, to help people, you know, come to terms with you know maybe why they don't feel right in themselves when they just get up every morning, don't really work out, go to do go 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 to a job, eat crap food, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right? There's not that. Joe Rogan talks about it a lot, right? These kind of things, right? There's not that physical threat there is no threat all the all the threats that we face or most of the threats that people face on a day-to-day basis are imaginary threats in your head it's like shit if i don't send that email to my boss blah 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 you know nothing is actually gonna happen right yeah you maybe you're there's implications of losing your job um and you could extrapolate that into you know various things but there's no threat to your physical being necessarily right um, no, right. It's, 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 but, but our body sort of treats it like it is, mm-hmm. right? Like the idea of, uh, you know, losing your girlfriend and your job, 
uh, you know, and having to start over again or something like that would, would be terrifying to some people. It's, it's as bad as dying, I suppose. Um, yeah, no, it's something, it's something to, to discuss really uh, this idea of, uh, of what human nature is. Yeah. Because if, if, if that is around our human nature, then I get, and it truly is human nature, then you can't say that it's bad per se, right? I mean, you should never hurt anybody on purpose. Um, you can't say that it's it's wrong, I guess. You know? mm. I mean, are there species on the planet? Like, is there a t- type of animal species that you can think of that, well, now that, that, that animal should just not be around. I don't know. A mosquito like, it comes to mind at first because I kind of look at mosquitoes and think they shouldn't, shouldn't be around. But, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Something to, hey, I want to I wanna change gears on you. Is that cool? Yeah, go for what it. Do th- what do you think about the five-minute round inspiring? Five-minute round? Five-minute I tell you what, or, let's or do, just, or just like, doing rounds with one minute break. Let's let's call it that. Quickly before we, we go into, quickly before yeah we're on quickly yeah. before we go into the five minute round, the whole idea of the conflict that you're talking about with the yoga festival. I think we need to talk more about the festival when we we'll get back to yeah. it though. Um, but Led Zeppelin, right? <coughs> Jimmy Page, the constant theme throughout the music that he did with Led Zeppelin was a contrast between light and dark. And the whole idea of, um, I don't know whether this is exactly why they chose the name, but think about it. A Zeppelin is something that flies and floats, but a lead mm. Zeppelin, lead sinks, right? So, huh. Did you just come up with that while you were sitting on the toilet back there? Um, I, I was, <laughs> I wasn't, no, I, I was, I, I'm a massive Led Zeppelin nut, right? So anytime I get to talk about them, I'll throw it in. Um, but oh, apparently the, sto- the, sto- the story behind um, the name goes that they were spending time with Keith Moon, who was the drummer for The Who. And right. they were talking about forming this band and he said it's going to go down like a Led Zeppelin. But right. I don't know. But I, I, I like the idea of the contrast between the two, the, the light and the dark and the kind of the two juxtaposing is that what you would say um elements yeah 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 so if you do so you could you could have led zeppelin playing throughout the entire festival and then tell people why (laughs) oh that's perfect but anyway (laughs) but anyway the fight you see the question you asked was what do i think about the five minute round with a one minute break do you mean from a physical perspective or from a jujitsu development perspective Here's what, here's what I, here's the thing because like think about it when you know in jujitsu school all around the world <clears throat> the the classes generally run the same way you warm up for 15 minutes you have technique in the middle and then you do sparring right mm-hmm. and sparring could go anywhere from like two rounds to eight rounds depending on how much time you have maybe yep. more right yep. and then there's the one minute round in between usually it's five or six minutes let's say right yep but I guess my do you I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not sure that's if you if you're preparing for a competition. I don't think that's a very effective way to train at all to prepare yourself for a competition. I think it's, you know, I think there's this, there's this, there's this idea out there that it's going to get you in great shape. And if you can do six minutes of sparring straight with one minute rounds, you're going to be in shape for the, for the competition. And I just don't, I just don't, I don't think it's a a good way to prepare at all. I think it's, um, I think it's good for conditioning. I think it's good for the month before. I think it's great for the month before your competition, but, I would say in the last month, it's not, not good. What do, you, what do you think? Why is it not good in the last month? Well, I think, A, when you're in the third or fourth round of, of, um, of sparring for practice, I mean, is your timing and intensity the same as it's going to be in the actual competition? 
probably not right like i don't think i don't think the timing is going to be the same i don't think your the twitch in your muscles is going to be the same i don't think certainly don't think the intensity is so i think i think if you were training for a competition i think you should do basically five minutes on five minutes off five minutes it's going to lengthen the session out but you need to take a full five minutes off in between rounds and then find somebody that's hopefully a little better than you and actually go guns a blazing with the, with the timing to get the real, you know, get used to what a real fight's going to feel like, a real comp competition is going to feel like. I went, mm. I, I went to the Madrid Open over here, right? I took my, my first class to a few students to the Madrid Open. And, you know, I had a student in here that's like, he was all excited because he does five rounds, no problem. Got him in there, first round. He went, just, you know, it takes, takes over you. And he won, right, by like two advantage points. And they practically had to drag him out for the second match. Like, he just gassed out. I could see him in the first minute. He just gassed out. He fell over. He's like, I don't know what happened. You know, I do five rounds all the time. It's just like, it's a different round. It's a different five minutes. And I think the only way to really prepare is to, to emulate a, comp a competitive five minutes by spacing it out so you're completely well-rested. Think about it. In a competition, you don't, you don't jump right on to the next match. You usually have at least five minutes, if not 10, 15, or 20, right? But, but yet, that's how around the world everybody's preparing for a competition. Let's do 10 rounds now because we've got a competition. Now you're, now you're a slinky and, and now you start getting hurt because you're, you're, too, you're too tired in the wrong way. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that that should be changed. But we, we, do, we, do, we do it a little differently at our school and have done recently. Um, uh, Professor Tom Cronin, who's, who's my coach, he's, he's um, been a world champion at every belt level. Uh, and so he's, he's an incredible competitor, um, you know, very, very incredibly knowledgeable about jujitsu as well. So we take a little bit of a different approach, but I, 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 I agree that's a very common approach to prepare for competition. Um, it, it's something I, I think, I've been, I think about this all the time, right? Because I geek out on jujitsu and I, I geek out on physical optimization slash strength and conditioning um, to the point that when I was asked what I wanted for Christmas, I asked for strength and conditioning books, right? So it's kind of, um, you know, I, I geek, yeah, I geek out on this stuff, right? I, I, I love it. And trying to kind of take a step back, when you look at jujitsu, a, ju a typical jujitsu class, you've got a very broad range of people in there um let's say let's just call it an adult class for example you've got the people that are complete beginners with no you know haven't done no physical you know activity for the last 10 years you've got the people that are coming in they're in good shape you've got full-time competitors you've got the hobbyists who are you know maybe have been doing it a little bit longer and you've got the people that you know like the like myself you know, like to compete now and again, but I'm not like, you know, flat out 100% jujitsu competition, right? So you could almost put that on a scale from complete amateurs all the way up to someone who's a full-time competitor. Let's, let's call them professional, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, in what other sport environment, and let's talk about it from a sports perspective, right? Because, you know, it's an art, is it a sport, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we're talking about competition. In what other sport would you have a team or individuals practicing in such a mixed environment? Even if it was, even if it was an individual sport, an elite level judo fighter would be training 
with mostly other elite level judo competitors. There may be other people that they train with, but when they do competition preparation, it's mm. very geared towards that audience. So just in general, it, it can be, you know, it can be incredibly hard to try to train something, you know, across the board that's gonna fit for everyone. So I know some schools have competition classes. Um, that's that would be that would be my first thought. The second thought would be you've always got to ask yourself why you're doing what you're doing in preparation for the, for the competition. And I was making some notes as you're speaking. I think let's just, the two biggest categories are going to be the physical preparation and the technical preparation. And sometimes you need to separate those two. They can be mixed, absolutely. But you've got to know what's, what's the primary objective with a certain form of training. Now, if it's physical preparation, yes, you could argue that you could just go and do sprints. But I think physical preparation, doing jiu-jitsu is going to be most... You still on? Yeah, yeah, sorry. No, it's fine. Your video dropped. Um, you can do physical preparation on, you know, in the form of jujitsu, and I think that's the best way to do it because it's most specific to the sport. But right. technical preparation is going to be, you know, the point I'm trying to make is what's, what's taking priority, right? What's taking priority during that form of training? Is it just to, you know, build up a gas tank? Well, fine roll in a certain way that's going to build up a gas tank but then you've also got to look at okay my technical preparation on top of that as well so doing um you know very specific sparring one of the examples i'll give is that we we set up or tom you know professor tom set up um you know everyone he put three people on the mat three to four people on the mat everyone else lines up against the wall the person coming in gets to pick any position that they want but their goal is to score or submit. And the other person's goal is to escape. And then Mm. once one person escapes or the other person scores or submits, the winner stays in and they just keep going. Right. So it's, yes, it's, it's kind of physical, but it's also, but the the primary objective there is to put yourself Mm -hmm. in specific competition type scenarios where you've got to score another one can be you know two people go in the first people to score a takedown if no one scores a takedown in, in a minute they both go out so you've got to, i think you've got to create intensity basically it's intensity but it's um it's intensity but it's also it depends what you're trying to achieve right there's a certain level of intensity that you build up um, but what's the primary objective there? The objective there, is, the, the, the primary objective is to put yourself in situational situations that are you going to, going to encounter in competitions you're used to it. And the secondary objective is to replicate some of the intensity that you encounter in, 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 um, in competition. But then, you know, if you're, you just want to you know, drill your game plan, so then you're getting into more of kind of the, 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 your strategy, then is it best just to flow roll? And just work through, well, through techniques, I, you know. Um, I, I think what you said there of coming in, like if you're talking about putting somebody in the middle of the mat, right, or one or two people, and then everybody's up against the wall, you know that one? And then, yep. you know, you, where, and then, you know, like just with pass or sweep. Well, every, if, you're in, if you're in the if you're on your back, you want to stay in the middle, right? Yep. You're going to be a lot more intense, at least because you want to stay in the middle. It's like it's creating that competition where I don't know if you've ever been rolling mm-hmm. – 
on normal five minute rounds and you get to the seventh or eighth round and, um, and, um, and then you're kind of, uh, you know, you'll just give up the arm maybe because you just not, you just don't have any more energy left and you can't, you can't fight for it. You know, so I don't know. I wanted to, I'm just, just wondering about that because it's uh, something I'm thinking about changing, but, but, you know, I mean, my, my school's mostly white and blue belt. So I think I'm just going to stick with the five minute rounds because it fits in the best. You know, yeah. Five of those a night. So, you know, maybe as your school changes, you have to sort of consider having uh, other classes, of course, all open mats, you're open to do whatever you want. Right. So if you're a competitor, you might as well get with your, whoever else is competing and say, oh, look, I'll go with you hard for five minutes. Cause I don't know, at least me, I think if you haven't got your technique down at least in the weeks before or the month before, I, I like to work, think about more about technique during normal training. And then, um, the last two months really work on timing. Um, cause I guess I've got my game plan. Um, and then just try and make sure that I have the intensity and timing, especially as you get older, you, know, you start to you know, you fall over more when you didn't expect to, um, just to sort of sharpen that, stay on your toes. If, if you know what I mean? Yeah. That you, you, you can, so the physical preparation is one thing, right? Are you fit enough? Are you fit enough? Are you powerful enough? Are you quick enough? Are you strong enough? Are you mobile enough? Right. There's, there's a lot of tests and measures you can do to know when you're in that kind of state, right? Um, you know, the, the technique to your point as well, you know, the, the further you get along, you know, a, a month out, yeah, you can refine some stuff and maybe you can, ha you know, hammer in one more technique that could change your game. But largely, it's better off just, you know, sticking to what you know you know, in the last couple of weeks and just refining that. You're not suddenly going to learn a technique that's completely going to change your game or it's unlikely to change your game in, 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 a, short, in a short period of time. But in terms, right. in, terms of, in terms of the intensity, I think what becomes important is not so much the physical intensity. Well, the physical intensity is important, but it's your decision-making under that intensity that becomes so important. And it's that decision-making when you're fatigued, I think that has a, such a good translation over to competition mm. because you'll come off, how often have you come off the mat in a competition and gone, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that or, you know, oh, yeah, I do that technique all the time, but I completely blanked because your decision-making is very different to what mm. it was when you're sparring. And if you can replicate and, and try to bring, you know, good decision-making into high-intensity situations. That's the better way to put it, actually. It's, it shouldn't be really intensity. It should be decision-making. Um, under pressure. Under pressure, yeah, because that's, that's what's different, yeah. And we've all had those moments where everything goes blank and, like, you freeze and something, and then you, get, you, start, you lose a bunch of points or lose because of just losing concentration. Huh. Yeah. Uh, what about um here's another big question people like to ask um you probably already talked about it on your podcast before but how many days do you like to leave out before your last day of sparring to your to your competition intense sparring um usually usually 48 to 72 hours usually 48 wow. to 72 hours um so three three full days but what i've started to introduce over the last couple of years is uh still going on the mats but literally not even br barely breaking a sweat but doing kind of doing a run through um 
Because, you know, you look at all of the sports teams, right? They'll do a run through the morning of or a run through the day before, right? When they compete. Mm. So, you know, I know there's an idea of completely taking time off. And it, it also depends on the competition as well, right? If I know I've only got one person in my bracket, then I'm not going to worry too much about it. But I know if, and I'm, I don't choose to peak for every competition in the year, but there'll be two or three competitions where, you know, I, I will choose to and recommend that people choose, okay, these are the ones that you're really going to target. These are the really big ones. By all means, compete throughout the year, but really focus the intensity and just for the one big competition. And if you are in a, you know, if you are in a middleweight bracket, the purple belt, you can have 150 people in your category in some competition. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's crazy. Someone needs to do the math on that, but that's like, you know, it can be eight fights maybe. That's a, you know, yeah. set eight, seven minute fights. How, how much is that? That's, my math, my, my math is so bad at the moment, but whatever that is, it's a lot yeah. of time actually fighting, right? So I think it becomes an endurance event. And a lot of the, a lot of the research around tapering for competition tends to be focused on endurance events. And when people say you've got to taper for a week, typically that's for something like a marathon or something, you know, a long endurance race. But depending on your weight category, the size of the competition, how, how long your fights are, will kind of dictate how much, you're going to need to exert on those particular days. So someone who's only got one person in their bracket is not going to need to taper as much who someone who's in the adult division, brown or purple belt with 150 people in the category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. I've, uh, I've always done a full week. Yeah. N- nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Don't even look at the mat for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, I feel so much, um, I feel my, it feels like my, because I know it takes your muscles, right? It's going to take your muscles 24 to 48 hours to completely come back to normal, right? After a hard sparring session, about 48 hours, I think it's 72 hours maybe. But ligaments take longer. You know, and if you think about your ligaments working really hard and your tendons and all those kind of things, like they, they take six days. I'd gotten the idea, my brother had said, and I don't even know if it's true, but he said it's Jean-Gi Rivera. He said, he takes full six days apparently. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Six days of nothing, right? There's this idea that you'd fall out of shape in six days, but I think your, you know, your fitness st- stays with you surely through that, that point. It's worked out really well for me at least. Um, but yeah. Well, he's, it's, it's worked for him. Mm, seems so. He's a pretty, he's, a, he's a, obviously right. His, his, his record speaks for itself. Yeah, it, it's, there's never one answer. Um, I still like the idea of keeping mentally sharp and drilling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's it comes down to experimentation and what works for you. you know, the big thing with jujitsu is there's no season, right? You can the, the level of training, the intensity of the training that you're going to go through in a, in a, t- in a typical week for jujitsu is maybe going to be very different. I'll talk about when I was playing rugby. Um, you know, you, you, when you're playing rugby during the season, you go to the gym, say twice a week on a Monday and a Wednesday, then you would have, this is not a professional level, right? So it's different. And then you just train Tuesday and a Thursday and you don't do it more, you know, it's more technical than it is physical during the season because you've got the game on the Saturday. So that's very different to someone who's training jujitsu and is going balls to the wall five days a week, all of the time. Right, um, right. You know, not everyone does that. Some people are smarter and will structure how they train light days versus heavy days. And as you get better, it becomes a little bit easier to do that. 
Um, so jujitsu is is unique in a way where you can you can potentially go all out five days of the week, and I don't recommend it. Um, and there's no natural off season, right? Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know what the answer answer is, but that, that, those are my thoughts around it. I think definitely depending on the size of the competition, how many fights you're likely to have. It, it should be a big, dic- you know, a big dictator of how much time that you take off leading up, leading up to the competition. Hmm. Hey, let me ask you. Let me tell you something else. Actually, rugby. You were just bringing up rugby. Yeah. I think because you know the American because I've I've watched a lot of rugby since living in Europe for over ten years now, right? Especially yeah. when I lived in Britain. But um, and rugby union. That's when you played, right? I played like both, but most, mostly rugby union, but I played both. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what could take off in America if people watched it. That rugby sevens. You, the, that the, loads of fun. But the US... Oh, I the, can watch it. Don't you know the US team are really good? Yeah, well, that's why I saw, that's why I saw them. Yeah, but it's just fun to watch anyway because there's a lot... Like, Americans love... Like, you know, Americans... And any American listening to this will know this, like, from my generation, that, you know, Barry Sanders, um, you know... Walter Payton, all these guys, Deion Sanders, they were guys that could run in space, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, that was the best part about watching football. It's like a kickoff return or a punt return or a long pass or whatever. And a guy, watch a guy make a move out in open space and like just juke everybody out and score. Well, that's, that's like all, that's all rugby sevens. Like that's mm-hmm. all they're doing. <laughs> that's, that, that's the whole 15, and it's only 15 minutes. There's no stop in the action. It's just guys like throwing this ball around like a sweep. And everybody's just trying to work in, in open space. And you just see some really amazing, amazing athletes. And the American team, yeah, I like watching them because they've got these sort of like guys that quite couldn't make it in American football, probably because they weren't the right size. I mean, they're a little bit slenderer in rugby seven, aren't they? Um, you'd depends, say they're probably a bit It depends on the position, right? But I know there's, there's what, two, two, they've got the U.S. sevens team has two of the two – not two of the two fastest men in world rugby. Yeah, that Baker and um, Carlisle. Miles. Yeah, they're yeah, absolutely yeah. rapid, and you put them into space. Right. Yeah, and they are smaller, right? They 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 they're not big guys, right? They're not big guys. Um, you couldn't you be put, that big, right? I mean, that's why you couldn't be. I mean, like, could you be your size and run for that long? Because that's like a it's yeah. like a little guy. It seems like a little guy sort of position. Um, or more sport versus the big guys in, in the union one. They're, they're like much bigger dudes. Yeah, well, there's different, there's different kinds of speeds, right? So you've got um, the most important speed in sport tends to be the acceleration over the first five to 10 meters, right? That's, where, that's what makes or breaks most, most runs. That means when you, whether you break the tackle, whether you find the gap, maybe up to 20 meters. Mostly past 20 meters, there's the occasion you get the occasional breakaway in most sports. Um, you know, maybe up to 40 meters. 40 meters would be a very long sprint in most team sports, uh, with the exceptions of with the exception of sevens because there's so much space, and the, right. and so there's a lot more of 40 meter plus kind of kind of sprinting. And uh, there are you know big you know I'm. I'd be relatively small versus a lot of even sevens rugby players. There's some big really. Man. You look at the Fiji. Well, you look at the Fijian yeah. team. The Fijian the team or the, or the All Blacks team. I could probably get up the stats and look at the average size of them. Yeah, there, there are smaller players, but yeah. you know, being tall, some guys are, being tall helps, right? Having a long stride and that that reaching, all, catching the ball out. Yeah, yeah, and if you're if you're big and fast, you may not be need be quite as fast as someone like the two players we mentioned from the U S 
but with you know big and a big stride and a relatively good amount of speed, you're hard to tackle as well. Um, yeah. So, well, I was watching um Jared Hayne. Uh, was it Jared Hayne? Remember him? Jared mm, Hayne. No. Australian Australian guy. He was in the rugby league team, and then he started playing for the 49ers. Okay. Did you ever see him? Okay. Did you hear about him? It was about two years ago, and then he was doing really, really well. Um, he's he was about uh, I want to say he was about six foot two. He's about your size, actually, six foot two, two twenty. Um, could run like a deer. Um, they just played him the wrong way, and I was just thinking, God, there's a real, there's a real, um, there's it, it, there's a real market out there because I've always thought about Amer- in American sports, like America, obviously, soccer is not a big deal, and I've always thought how. You, know, you look at like the two greatest like soccer players ever. They're five foot six, like Maradona and Messi, right? Yeah. Like they're five foot six. Do you know how many guys in America are five foot six that are sitting on a building site right now, or in an office, or working behind a computer? They were great athletes that just weren't the right build for American football or baseball or basketball, which are generally taller, bigger people. Yeah. And we, there's so many lost. There's so much lost talent, I think, in America, and it's just a shame that, you know if you were one of these sort of least littler guys, and of course, like, you know, Maradona was built like a little running back, really. I mean, he was five foot six, but he was stocky. Um, there's a lot of that. It's just a shame that, you know, what, what, depending on where you were born, you could have been sitting on a Learjet right now. <laughs> and yeah. now instead you're, you know, based on your build, because you didn't have access to the right type of sport for your body, you know? Yeah. Um, for, for, football, the, 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 the speed of direction change. Is a lot more important than in other sports. You know, speed. Which, of, you mean soccer? soccer uh, yeah, so, soccer. Yeah, soccer. So I am um, yeah. fo- football. Yeah. I mean football. <laughs> no, I know, but I'm, I'm trying to speak to your audience. I know probably doesn't. I don't get yeah, confused. British football, not American football, right? Uh, change, yeah, change yeah. of, change of. Uh, you know how quickly you can change direction um, is a lot more important in in soccer than in other sports. It's important in, you know, obviously you see a lot of sidestepping in rugby and in American football and stuff, but it's um, the breakaway is not as prevalent in football, probably because you, you're running with the ball, right? So you can't break into an open stride as, as much. But yeah, it, it's, it's surprising. One of the things that surprised me about American sports when I moved here, and I think people love to use sport in general and, you know, in the, in the UK, in America, or all over the place. But they love to use sport as a real kind of rags to riches type story that people came from, you know, real adversity to, to get to where they are. And huh. absolutely, that does happen. I know that happens. But what I've experienced here in this country is to play even basic high school football, you've got to invest a lot of money. It costs a lot of money to put your kids through sports in America. Whether it wasn't the same for, for me in the UK, well, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but you know, to, to pay for the kit, to pay the fees to play, to pay to travel around. So the, the whole, I think the, the, the idea of this you know, sport being a ticket out for a lot of people, not to say that it isn't for some, I think you know, you've got to, there's almost an entry point, a monetary entry point that a lot of people have to have even to get into these sports in the US. I mean, I didn't notice that in high school because I was back in the 90s, but all our stuff was free. I played football for four years. Really? Um, yeah, through high school, but I don't ever remember having to pay for anything. Maybe it's in California, right? And I'm just talking about Maybe, a couple yeah. of examples. So two of my, I've got 70 nieces and nephews through marriage. <laughs> so I've got, my wife's got a crazy big, yeah. none of my side of the family yet. So crazy, crazy big family. Um, 
and two two examples one was you know one one of the one of the boys when he was 14 had to stop playing american football because just couldn't afford the fee oh, right. um and then yeah. my my niece who plays volleyball and she's she's doing relatively well and could maybe get into college playing volleyball just the monthly fees to, for her to just play volleyball, let alone private coaching and the travel fee sure. and, you know, trainers. Mm. Damn expensive. Damn expensive. Yeah. A lot of people couldn't afford that, you know. How are you, yeah. how are you doing, how are you doing time, time uh, by the way? Because I know you've got students coming in. Uh, yeah, I do actually. You know what, I think I should probably call it a day. I've got a, a prospective one at the door there. I've got to go. Gotta go convince him that this isn't kung fu. <laughs> do, 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 do you wanna? Do you wanna tell? Ta- ta- do you have time to talk quickly about the the yoga festival a bit more? Do, go speak to him. Go speak to him on week. Oh, oh, hold on. Let me let me stop him a quick one. Oh man, just another. Are you there? Yep. So yeah, uh, there's an there's a British pub across the street, and every once in a while, a drunk guy comes over, goes, "Oh, well done." You should have brought him uh, on, and we could, we should have brought him on, and we could we could introduce them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my name's Jake. I'm here on holiday. Uh, you know. Um, so he says he's coming back in five minutes. Um, where were we? I wanted you to. I, it, I think you got to close up soon, but I. We'll cont- I'll continue to talk about the yoga festival, and then we'll speak about it offline. But we talked about um, how the, the, the BJJ and yoga festival is going to be this battle royale where jujitsu people are going to fight yoga people. No. Uh, <laughs> he didn't say that. Dude, if you're only listening, no, somebody, to, he didn't somebody say will that. take that out of context. Somebody's somebody will. Out of context. That's me joking. And post it. But no, talk, yeah. talk, talk. So it's a five-day festival in Mallorca. You've got this in October. The weather's going to be beautiful. Mallorca is a beautiful island in the Mediterranean. The weather's going to be perfect at that time of year. You've got this yep. big hotel, privately hired, overlooking the yep. sea. You're going to have yoga going on. You're going to have jujitsu going on. Tell people a little, bit, a little bit more about the daily structure and what will be available to them if they turned up. Well, from the outside, it's just going to look like an amazing holiday. So if you were like totally into jujitsu, and I know there's that plenty out there, but your partner really doesn't want to go on a jujitsu camp, mm-hmm. where it's just all about the jujitsu, this is a place where they can go and sit by the pool. And as far as they know, they're just in this amazing hotel. And their partner disappears for two hours once in a while to go do a class inside the building, right? Outside, there's going to be yoga everywhere. And there'll be some classes in jujitsu um, on the grass, maybe. But the, the, when you get there opening day, on, the, on the check-in date, there's going to be, um, we're going to have an opening night fiesta, a paella dinner, big seafood and vegan paella. So we're going to have both mm-hmm. um, with um, Spanish tapas. And that's sort of an introductory night. And then the red, next day, red all wine. the seminars are going to Red goods. wine, of course. Sangria, little cañas, that means little beer. Um, and so tapas and, just, and DJs and all that kind of stuff and have a really fun night. The next day, the, the seminars will start. Just basically from sunrise, there's going to be every morning there's going to be a sunrise. If, you want to, if anybody wants to get up and do it, they can and watch the sunrise come up. And it'll, it'll be a yoga class in this sort of the dark twilight that leads into this sort of sunrise. Oh, wow. For those that, those that like to get up early, they can do that. Um, and then just basically classes of jujitsu throughout the whole day. Different instructors around the world, gi, no gi, leg locks. Uh, I've got Ross Nichols. He's confirmed. Nice. So he's going, to be, he's going to be teaching no gi classes, hopefully the leg game. Um, I've got uh, a guy named Mario Busso, who's a DJ, who's also a black belt out of Dubai. He's teaching. I've got some others in the work. I don't want to say anything yet because I don't want to jinx it. Um, 
some different yoga teachers, different, all kinds of different yoga. Um, it looks like we have a guy, not Wim Hof, but one of Wim Hof's students mm -hmm. to come and do that ice water immersion therapy so you can jump into that. Of course, there's a full-blown spa uh, there with massages and all the hot sauna, wet sauna. Um, and, uh, and then we're going to, so then there's the four days of the seminar. At any point, you can run, you can hire a car across the street, drive around the island if you go in the mountains. You can go into historic Palma, which is a 2,000-year-old historic city, um, and, and, and bop around there. Um, and then on the, the last night, we're having a big fiesta dinner again. It's just going to be Spanish tapas again, a barbecue, a seafood barbecue, vegan barbecue, um, sangria again, closing night. Uh, and then you check out the next day. So it's really kind of a free ranging event. Um, there's going to be up to 300 tickets sold, half of which are going to be uh, towards the jiu-jitsu community and half towards the yoga community. And then you can cross train on both. There'll be some exceptions. For example, if we do get like Sadhguru to actually come and speak, um, there might not be enough room to fit everybody, all 300 people. So if you have the yoga heavy ticket, you'll have priority to that. But I think we can get everybody in there sitting down. You just wouldn't be able to go to the yoga part. Um, but you can go to the Q&A. Mm. For example, and I'm not saying saying we've got him, him booked or anything. Same thing with the jujitsu. If if we've got our whoever our headliner jujitsu guy is or girl, um, you know it, the the room's 200 square meters. If we can, you know we're not might not be able to fit 300 people in it. And if you're just starting jujitsu and you're, you're you want to jump into a class, that probably wouldn't be the class you'd go to anyway. You want to go to one of the introductory. So yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a great time. October is a, a fabulous time to be here. The average Air temperature is about 25 degrees, which is sort of mid to high 70s. Um, but the cool thing is that the sea temperature is the same. It's the exact uh -huh. same as the air temperature. Still, still about 25 degrees, 75, 76 degrees. So swimming in the sea is perfect. And I don't know if you know Majorca, but the water here is crystal clear. I mean, you can yeah. see straight through 100 feet right down to the, the bottom of the sea. Um, and uh, so it's right on the sea. You can literally jump right off into the sea or in the, into the many pools. But if you check out www Mirka, uh, BJJ yoga fest.com. You can find it. Just Google it. You can see the website and you can get all the information. Tickets aren't, aren't out yet. So I'll, I'll put it in the, that. I'll put it in the description. I'll put it in the description. Amazing. Yeah. Do you have, um, do you have a social media? Yeah. Go to in Instagram. Definitely like Instagram. Um, Mirka BJJ yoga festival is Instagram. You can find it on there. And then on the Facebook page, same thing. But definitely like it because there's just all kinds of different things coming out. I'm also posting a lot about the food that people eat here. I mean, it's a paella, for example, or you know, there's a thing called uh, uh, pamaoli, which is just bread and olive oil. So not quite paleo, but uh, it's it's just a little bit of his history about the island, some of the different castles that are here. I explain the history because it's really like a Game of Thrones stuff that was going on here. Um, so if you read through the old posts, they're really hopefully informative because I like to take that history aspect along with the culture and the food and music and everything. It's, it's going to be all thrown together in this five days. It's definitely going to sell out quick. No doubt about it. Yeah. I'm trying to find you now. I'll, fi I'll, fi I'll find you on uh, Instagram. Oh, here we go. I've got you. Mallorca BJJ. Um, um, I'm already following you. There you go. Um, I can see a picture of Jack and, and, and Leah in there as well. Your twin brother. Or is that Leah beating you up? I don't know. I can't tell. You look the same. Because you're, twin. yeah. because you're twins. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's nice enough to pose for that. Oh, it's so, cool. It's uh, I'm hoping. Well, we 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 we're talking offline of you know maybe I can get out there as well and do you know teach jujitsu, do some strength and conditioning stuff. Oh yes, yeah. we'll, we'll see. Being a jujitsu teacher would be nice, and then angle in some strength and conditioning. We'll definitely talk about that. 
and talk about that offline and we'll maybe love to, love to get you over here for that i think you'd be perfect for it thank you thank you yeah. um yeah because mallorca is mallorca is beautiful very um part for people who've been to barcelona palma has a very barcelona type feel to it in terms of the architecture i think and the way this the kind of streets are set up was my impression I just, I would just, yeah i would describe it as like cut off the best quarter of barcelona and put it on an island by the sea there's half a million yeah there's half a million people in, in palma so it's not a massive city but it's not small either it's definitely a buzzing city yeah um, it's big enough so big, big enough, enough. enough to have a, get lost in yeah, Mallorca's Mallorca's beautiful. I spent a week over there with uh, with Joe and his brother. Was it last year or the year before? The year before, right? I don't remember. Yeah, be... yeah, it was the year before. A year and a half ago. Yeah, because yeah. we've got because yeah, I, yeah. I, I judge everything based on the age of my daughters now. Um, yeah, well, you're gonna have to come and stay at my new place because it's got a, it's, a, it's pretty sweet. So sounds beautiful. I'm not an invite, not to everyone who's gonna turn up. <laughs> Party back at Joe's place. <laughs> That would be funny. That would be really funny. You still there? I've lost your video. Uh, yeah, I lost it. That's fine. Um, okay, they're, they're lining up at the door. Yeah, you've got to go, um, Joe. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'll. You've got to go, right? So I'll. I'll wrap. You. You jump off. I'll wrap it up here, and then we'll. We'll speak, buddy. Um, thank okay, you so buddy. much. Really good speaking All to you. All the best, man. Take All care. Right. Bye. Thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for having me, Lawrence. Bye bye. Anytime. Is he going? No, he's gone. Joe's gone. Um, no, he's not. He's come back. He's still trying to work out the hang-up. There, he's gone. Um, what a fascinating guy. I do. Very good friend of mine, as, as I said, but you know, genuinely didn't, didn't do any preparation for this podcast, but I know every time we get into a conversation, we go off, we really geek out on, on so many so many different subjects and you know he's got a different different thought process to me on on a lot of them as well so i hope you i hope you found that interesting i think we touched on some some good topics around around nutrition around paleo eating around you know learning jujitsu we touched a little bit on uh shame we didn't get into more of how joe looks after himself on the map being a smaller jujitsu fighter and also being a little bit older protecting his neck i think that was interesting in that yeah, that festival in Mallorca sounds sounds amazing. It's a really beautiful part of the world. Hopefully, you guys can get out to it. I'll I'll send you the information. I'll put the information in in the in the description of the show, so you can follow Joe on Instagram and you know get over to the website. And hopefully, when the time comes for you to be able to buy tickets, don't doesn't look like there's going to be that many tickets. So I think definitely take take that opportunity. But other than that, guys, um, thank you for listening to the show as always. This is the first show of 2019. My goal is to get out 50 podcasts this year. So I'm uh, you know, starting off, on, um, starting off on the right foot. Got a few more guests lined up that I'll, I'll talk about when the time comes. Um, I think the podcast has been, for me, it's been very enjoyable to do the podcast. Uh, and it's been very well received. So thank you so much for all of the support through 2018. And, you know, hopefully I can get some, you know, other great stuff out to you in 2019. So you'll continue to listen and engage in the show. Let me know what you want me to talk about. If there's, you know, a topic you want me to research, an expert you want me to bring on, any guests, any guests you can maybe connect me with as well would be fantastic. Um, I'd really appreciate that. But likewise with some of the other stuff, you know, in terms of the videos I'm going to be putting out, the articles I'm going to be put, putting out, you know, what, what are your goals? What are your goals for 2018? Um, oh, sorry, 2019. And what is it that, 
you know, you may need help with, I think could be a good way to shape some of the content that I put out there. And then lastly, if you're not already um, someone who uses the Breathing for BJJ program or uses the, uh, has seen the lower back pain, the lower back pain solution for jiu-jitsu athletes, head over to bjjstrength.com. There's a free breathing course for BJJ that I know has helped a lot of people. Um, there's a free ebook as well about lower back pain that can be a problem that plagues many, many jiu-jitsu athletes. Got some more testimonials I need to get up over the next couple of weeks. It's been working really well for a lot of people. Um, and share it out, guys. You know, spread the word. You know, the more people this this podcast reaches and the other content reaches, you know, the more people I'm able to help. And that's, you know, you know, you know, little comments, little bits of feedback, you know, finding out that this stuff has been useful for people really motivates me to keep going. So um, again, thank you for all the support. Welcome to 2019. If you're listening to this at the start of 2019 or welcome to whatever year, if you're listening to this in the future in 2029, if my podcast still exists, I don't know. But with that, guys, I'm going to close out and I'll speak to you in the next show.